0: Busy day yesterday at the Saunders house. My, uh, my daughter, Kai, uh, moved into her first solo apartment situation in St. Petersburg, Florida. Uh, it was a great day. We uh, you know, did it without a hitch. Uh, she's on the second floor, of course. So everything's that much heavier. But uh, we actually got done before it got super hot. and was grateful for that. Last night, uh, Eleanor and I went out, kind of. Uh, we went to this uh, thing in Sarasota. I recommend it. It's called Nick Wallenda's Daredevil Rally. I think it's called a rally. And I don't know if you know who Nick Walenda is. He's the tightrope walker guy. And so they basically, when they shut the circus down, they got all these acts that you know didn't have anywhere to go. And Nick got them all together, apparently, and put them out in this park in Sarasota. And uh, we sat like a drive-through, or a drive-through. Those are good, too. We sat like a, at a drive-in, is what I meant, Cars kind of separated apart. You could sit on your hood, and you could take in the show. My favorites were uh, the guys on the motorcycles in the big cage ball. Have you seen these guys? Three of them going around. It's kind of crazy. Uh, obviously, like the tightrope walker, two of them coming across, passing each other on a wire suspended about 80 feet above the ground. And then uh, the, one of the f- finishing acts was this cannonball, this human cannonball guy. And they shot him out of a cannon, you know, 100 feet across the stage to a net on the other side. And uh, I'm sitting there the whole time thinking, these people are crazy. <laughs> what, what makes you wake up one day and say, you know what? I want to take a wire and it's suspended it 100 feet above the ground and walk across it. I want to suspend a wire from two buildings in Chicago, which this guy did. I want to go across a volcano. He was just, you know, he detailed some of those things. I'm like... What is wrong with you? Has anybody ever had these feelings when you're at these shows? What happened that made you want to do this? It was crazy. As we drove away, uh, we were uh, both glad to have finally been out. I don't know if you've been out and done some things, but it was great just to kind of go out and have like a normal night, normal-ish. And uh, as we're driving away, Eleanor said this to me, hit me. She says, you know, wasn't it great to go watch crazy people to take your mind off all the craziness in the world. Crazy can be a distraction from the crazy. And it's been a crazy season. Can we all just nod our heads on that one? Still is. Three and a half months ago, I preached my last message on a Sunday in this room. Three and a half months, that's a long time. If you're like six months old, that's like half your life. (laughs) But we are in the midst of an unprecedented season this pandemic continues. Numbers continue to rise. I don't know how to read all those things. We might be the second wave. We might be the new epicenter, depending on which website you visit. Uh, but it's hard not to, in this three and a half months, t- to not develop what I call pandemic fatigue. Anybody there? I'm just kind of tired of it. I mean, let's just get back to normal. We've we, we got to stay smart. got to stay safe. But it's weird. Of course, we've got all the Uh, The things that are going on surrounding the racial unrest and uh, the protests continue, certainly, most definitely, I hope you heard me preach a couple weeks ago, changes need to be made. Uh, Sympathies and empathies need to be extended. We need to figure this out as best we can as a culture. We need changes that can be legislated, but we need mostly changes that happen at the heart level, person to person, right? But that's kind of made things a little crazy. There's economic questions that surround this time. Jobs are still not happening for certain people in this room and certain people watching us online. It's an election year, yee-haw. (laughs) Work is weird, anybody still Zooming for work? Anybody still on a Zoom all the time for work? Isn't that weird? Parts of it I like, but it's kind of strange to be looking into a screen all day. And then church is weird, look at this room. It's all that, I mean, there's very nice people here. If you're not here, they're very nice. But there's all these chairs scattered around and we're all trying to stay close enough but not too close and say hi. And I've learned that, you know, the new handshake is the elbow bump and just weird. Now, the question I want us to answer in our time together is, is how do we as Christians handle crazy times like these? Um, and I'll just answer it right away for you. As always, we who follow Christ, follow Christ. By faith, we keep things simple. We do what we know to do, and then we trust God with the results. In Philippians chapter three, Paul's uh, in prison. He's, he's writing to the Philippian church and he's saying to them, uh, why didn't you guys tell me I didn't have a button done? Sorry. He's saying to them from prison, he says, you guys, you know what? I, if anybody here has the right to boast, it's me. He goes through his whole resume and then he says, but listen, all that's in the, in the past. I'm putting that behind me. And then he says this. He says, I press on. Anybody heard this one? Say it with me if you know it. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God, Jesus Christ. Paul has this singular focus. He's like, doesn't matter what's going on around me. Doesn't matter what happened in my past. Doesn't, want, doesn't matter what's gonna happen tomorrow. I got this one thing. I'm going to press on. I'm going to become all that God has hoped for me to be. And I won't take my eye off of that prize. As Christ followers, we certainly need to stay focused on the headlines and not the small print. We need to keep the main things, the main things. We need to love God and his people and even those who aren't his people yet. We need to worship, belong, serve, multiply. We need to keep it simple and stay the course because life is best lived when we do. It's like being a dad. Can I preach a little sermon within my sermon? Doesn't matter, I'm good. here it comes. Uh, Fellas, if you wanna be a good father, no matter what stage of fathering you're at, just keep it simple. Just keep it simple. At every stage of our kids' development, there's basically these five things. Provide for them. If they're young, feed them. Clothe them, give them a roof. If they're older, buy them dinner. My daughter took me out for my birthday breakfast uh, earlier last week and um, she started telling me about her apartment and everything that it was going to cost and I was like you're not buying me lo- you're not buying me breakfast you're you're it's on me that's that's my role as a father also moving her and other things but provide that's the first thing protect stand up for them and stand up to them discipline your kids all your younger families not like you know in anger or anything but 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 protect them from the world and from themselves Prepare them, chief, amongst our aims as parents. Train up a child in the way that they should go, right? And you're never done preparing them. You know why? Because they're always entering into something new in life that you've been a part of before, because you're older. And so it doesn't matter how old they get. First apartments, that's new. How do I do this, Dad? Prepare them. (sighs) But spiritually, as you prepare them, Understand, look at me, all parents, you are the chief disciples of your kids. You're the ones who get to shape them in the likeness of Christ the most. You get the most time with them. Now, Some of us have older kids, that's less. But even now, you're the preparer of them spiritually. If you've got young kids, don't leave it to Betsy, Betsy and the rest of our children's staff, although they do a great job. Thank you, Betsy. Be a part of that. Prepare them. So you provide for them, you protect them, you prepare them. The Bible says don't provoke them. It's right there in Ephesians chapter 6. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. Don't let your mistakes damage your kids. As much as possible, stay holy, and when you're not, get humble. And confess where you were wrong. And help them learn from your mistakes. The final thing we learn from the prodigal father, not the prodigal son, And in the parable of the prodigal son, the father just waits and he loves his son no matter what. Love your kids no matter what, dads. They're the ones that God gave you. You don't have to endorse or, or condone everything that they do, but regardless of what they do, you love them. Always. Now, that was five things. Provide, protect, prepare. Don't provoke. Love them. Five things. Good summary, right? We could just go home. Maybe some of you are going to turn it off now. Great to see you. Have a great day. But there's certainly more to being a dad. That wasn't an exhaustive lift. There's, lists, there's, there's unique needs and unique challenges that we all face, but, but that's enough. Keep it simple. In our text today, we're going to watch Peter kind of do the same kind of summary work that I just did for dads. If you've been watching online for the last three, now, or three months, you know that we've been talking through a series called What Really Matters from this book of First Peter. And, and can we all just uh, understand that Peter's initial readers, these uh, uh, residents of a place called Asia Minor, which is now modern-day Turkey, northern Turkey, um, they were in, in, the, in the outskirts, the outposts of the Christian faith. Uh, almost certainly most of them were Gentiles. They had come from pagan um, religions, um, and, and they had chosen Christ. Because they had chosen Christ, they were getting hammered, left and right. Family, uh, those in the, in the marketplace, uh, when they went down to their river to get baptized, and they identified themselves with this carpenter from Israel, everything changed for them. You can just read the rest of 1 Peter and see that. It's all about persecution. Remain steadfast is the message of 1 Peter. And in our text today, Peter, who's already said a bunch here in the first chapter or so, summarizes the Christ life nicely for us. It's kind of his elevator speech, if you'll let me do that, for uh, right living in the Christ life. Starting in verse 9, uh, he says these things. I'm going to have everybody, since we're all in the room for the first time in three and a half months, let's all stand up, flex the knees, and read the Bible. Everybody Ready? He says this in verse nine. But you are a cho- come on, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Skipping to verse eleven, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. May God bless the reading of his word. Have a seat. Great job, you can still read. That's good to see after three and a half months. If I had to piece this together and just bring out the highlights, there's basically three things that Peter's saying in these verses. He's saying, listen, being a Christian is both an amazing grace and a huge responsibility. Therefore, live life doing what God has instructed us to do and do it for the sake of others seeing and also believing in Jesus Christ. Maybe he'd, uh, uh, just for the sake of time and and as kind of a a mnemonic device, a memory device, he'd make up a rhyme to help us remember like others have attempted to do. I grew up uh, learning rhymes to help me remember stupid things like, anybody know this one, 30 days, Okay, if you weren't listening online, 30 days has September, April, June, and November. All the rest have, except. Nice, good, good play, calendar people. Nice work. Uh, our, almost all of our kids' books were rhymes, right? I do know it. <laughs> excuse me. I do not like Green Eggs and Ham. That's correct. You remember this stuff? It rhymes, right? That's why they write the music in rhymes so you can remember it. Little ditty about Jack and Diane two American kids growing up in the heartland. I can sing the whole thing. Doesn't matter. I'm not going to. No, I'm not going to do it. Uh, lawyers even use it. I might not use this next service. If the gloves don't fit, you must acquire Okay, I'm not going to use that next service. Anyway, here's my rhyme for what Peter just told us. He says this, since we are who we are, let us do what we do that all those who see us might trust Jesus too. Say that with me, ready? Since we are who we are, let us do what we do that all those who see us might trust Jesus too. If I cease to be your pastor tomorrow, I pray I don't. Hope I get a long run with you guys. But if I ever leave this place, if I had to leave you with one hope, one phrase to remember, it might be this one. There's lots of them in the Bible, got lots of favorite verses, but this kind of sums up for us what the mission of the church is, what the mission of you as a Christ follower is. Because we are who we are, because we are in Christ, let us do what we do. Not the stuff of the old life, but the stuff that is Christ and the things that he calls us to. Let's do these things. This is so key. I'm gonna be harping on this for the next few months. We don't become disciples so that discipleship can end with us. We become the disciples that God has called us to be so that God can flow from us to others and make a difference in their lives. Churches die. Christians stunt when that is lost in the disciples' life. I'm living this life for the others around me. It's like a pregnant mother. I'm eating for two. Stay with me. As a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm living for me and all the potential spiritual children of God that I might have the impact on, that I might have the opportunity to influence. My life is not my own. It's God's obviously, but my life is given to others and what they see in my life is either gonna point them to Christ or point them away. And I need to take that seriously. Let's walk through that little rhyme that I just shared with you phrase by phrase. We are who we are. I got that from verse nine where it says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. He calls those of us who follow first, uh, uh, those who follow Christ, pardon me, a, a chosen race. That's his first name for us. It's a reminder of God's grace and how it has erased the ethnic and social and educational and any kind of barrier that has separated us when we were without Christ. When we are in Christ, all of those things are washed away. We have become a new race unto ourselves, a race of races, a race of every tribe and tongue and language. Uh, I'll just say this again, but we we can't continue in our church or any church uh, to let our differences separate us we have to disagree, disagree lovingly. We've got to handle things. Uh, that, you know, any kind of errors, we've got to deal with those for, for sure, but the, the little petty things, our skin color, our X and y chromosomes, our age, our opinions regarding the trivial, trivial that's the big one. People divide over the dumbest stuff. Have you noticed that? Got to stop doing that. These aspects may be part of who we are, but if we're in Christ, the most important marker of us, the greatest determiner of us is Christ in us. He calls us a royal priesthood. By that he means that we are to be the embodiment of God on earth. That's what the priests were given to Israel to be, the representative of God, the example of God on earth. And and we're also, as the priests were given to Israel, meant to carry out the functions of his work and his mission here on earth. He calls us a holy nation. That's an echo of chosen people, but he throws in holy there because we're meant to be this set apart group set apart for God himself and for his work. He's made us a people of his own possession with a specific end in mind. Did you get that at the end of the verse? He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. God has saved us. He's made us a part of this chosen race, this priesthood, this nation of his own possession with this specific end in mind to make much of him, the one who has called us out of darkness and into the light. There's no such thing then as a personal faith and everybody has a personal faith, but as far as it remaining personal, What he says there is that we've become all of these things. We've become who we are so that we can proclaim and share what we've been given. How do we proclaim the excellencies of God? Well, certainly we should do so with the words. But has anybody noticed uh, that what we do matters way more than what we say? I had an aunt when I was growing up uh, who smoked, I don't know, three or four packs a day. And she would sit at her kitchen table as I was, you know, staying at their house. My parents would be golf on some ministry thing. And uh, she would just, you know, two-handed, just, Anne Arlene just went for it. And uh, I still remember, I'm like five, uh, six years old. And she looks at me after lighting up one more and she says, Mark, don't you ever let me catch you smoking one of these. I'm like, okay. But if that's my mandate, what's yours? You get to smoke a pack before lunch? Is that the deal? Yeah, we, uh, we sometimes are guilty of this. Our actions are so loud, uh, people can't hear our words. So I ask again, how, how do we best proclaim the excellencies of God? It might not be our mouth alone that should be in gear. Certainly um, our choices, our lives themselves, uh, these point people to Christ. So that leads us to this next phrase in our line. Let us, let us do what we do. And for the purposes of, of where uh, Peter takes us, let me kind of flip that and do some really bad English here, ready? Peter doesn't start, first of all, with let us do what we do. He starts with let us don't what we don't. Let us don't what we don't. My son, uh, at, at some point in uh, our history, went with me to Sam's and he found these books, Eat This, Not That. I think I've talked to you about them before but there are these books that basically take you to, you know, all these restaurants and it says, here's the healthy choices at, uh, uh, you know, uh, cheesecake factory. There are none. And then, you know, uh, yeah, here's the less healthy. And it basically says, you know, you can eat this or you can eat that. You should eat this and eat that. My son is a little obsessive. And so, um, he basically memorized that book and every time we went out, he'd be like, well, I can't go there. I'm like, what do you mean? You can't go eat there. He says, well, in the book, it says I can't eat that. What an example for the rest of us, though. We've been given a book, and in our book, it's very clear. Do this, not that. Speak this way, not this way. Love this way and not this way. Has anybody picked that up in any of the messages that I've been preaching to you? It's pretty clear in there. And so Peter hits it again for us. He says, hey, beloved, a word used in Scripture, by the way, uh, to denote those who are loved, not just by each other, but by God himself beloved I urge you as sojourners and exiles where have I heard that before you know who was the first to call himself a sojourner and an exile in a foreign land Abraham you know where he did it smack dab in the middle of Canaan a land that had been promised to him and to his descendants by God does everybody understand that we as followers of Jesus Christ are living in a land that is ours but not yet ours like when the new earth comes and we reign with Christ This is our spot, man. But until that happens, we are foreigners. This is not our home. Sojourners and exiles. He says this, abstain from the passions of the flesh, which war against your soul. He says, abstain there. Abstain means to put away or to put distance between. It's this idea that we get from repentance. If you've read about that, I don't have time to go into all uh, the, the, the facets of repentance, but it needs to be um, something that we, we run from. If, if we need to repent of, of a choice or repent of a pattern in our lives, we, we put distance between us and it. We don't just set it to the side and stay in this place. We go as far as we can from it. It's uranium, it's toxic. And it can't be a part of us anymore. Six days ago, I drank my last Diet Coke. Yay. I did that for Eleanor. There's probably arguments as to why Diet Coke's not bad for you. I've drank it, drank it, drunk it, drunken it. I've taken into a lot of Diet Coke over 25 years. I'm just ready to be done uh, because I need to abstain, put away, put distance between me and that. There's all kinds of reasons for it, but. It just needs to be a part of my healthier life. If you've gone through addiction and you've uh, experienced you know, some program that helped you get rid of that, you understand. I can't go near this, that's what Peter is saying. He's saying abstain from the flesh. The flesh is a word used in scripture to represent anything that's physical, and material and not spiritual not just your personal flesh or your personal appetites. It's anything in the world, anything the world pursues, anything that's of material nature that would pull you away from the things that God would have you be and do. He says, abstain from those things. Any and all things that could displace me, God says, abstain from those things. And it describes flesh as a warrior because flesh is this this thing that, that seeks to war against our souls, against our deepest selves. If you fast forward into Peter, uh, into chapter five, you see that uh, our chief adversary, this guy named Satan, he's, he's depicted as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. This sin thing is not just kind of this like little eh. it's a vicious battle that's waged in the hearts of men and women. It's this war for our souls. And so it is that when we come to the flesh, when we don't what we don't, (laughs) we've got to take those things seriously as we abstain uh, from them. Uh, My kids uh, growing up would occasionally be in their car seats and we'd have the windows down and a bee would fly into the car. Has Anybody had this situation? My kids were, it still are, my kids are deathly afraid of stinging insects. And so, the, the bee would fly in the, the open window and start banging against the other, you know, side trying to get out, right? And my kids in chorus would just erupt. Bee! Daddy! You know, and, and so I'm in the front seat and there were times where I would have to pull over if I was driving or I would have to undo my seat. I'd have to go to the back and I was the, I was the hero. <laughs> I was the champion. Because I would go and I would corner that bee wherever it was. And if I could, I would shoot out the window. That's the first option. But if I was left, no choice. That was the bee's last day. I take the bee out and the kids would celebrate their conquering hero. (laughs) The flesh, just so you know, is buzzing around us all the time. You live in a car full of bees. It's never not there. The temptation to go against God and what his will is, it is constant in this world. So uh, we're possible. You need to run from whatever could tempt you. Uh, James and other places talks to us about avoiding temptation. Deliver us not. From, uh, from, or deliver us from evil. Huh, that's what I meant. Deliver us from evil. Anybody remember that in the prayer? Yeah. We run, but Listen. There are some things in our lives that the flesh has taken root in and it's just time to kill that. It's time to end that by God's grace and in the power of his spirit, um, be done with whatever it is that's holding you back in your pursuit of him. How you been doing it, killing the bees in your life, what needs to go? Now back to the rhyme, since we are who we are, let us Do what we do. We've already talked about the don't that we don't. Let us, then in verse 12, let us do what we do. Here's what we do. Verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So when they speak against you as evil doers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God, God on the day of visitation. I don't think I need to pop on this point too much. I think all of us are at least a little bit aware of, of, of our need to conduct ourselves in, in, in accordance with God's will. Is, is everybody with me on that? We should honor God. Anybody here as a Christian think you shouldn't? Probably not one. Anyway, um, Peter's already highlighted uh, this obedience and the extent of this obedience should take uh, when he notes in his uh, previous writings in chapter 1, verse 14 and 16, as obedient children, he says... Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Yeah, we are this holy nation, this set-apart chosen race. We're we're meant to live in accordance with God's will and his word. Pretty clear, uh, you know, throughout scripture, but almost impossible at times to accomplish. Anybody with me on that? Being holy, is there just times where like, I can't be holy, yesterday we we're hauling, uh, hauling stuff up to uh, my daughter's apartment and we were putting together her uh, bed frame. She's in a, she's in a bedroom, her queen size bed basically fits in this little bedroom, that's it. And, and uh, her bed frame is such that it's kind of like this minefield, like, like there's these slats that go across it and if, if you don't step in the right places, you're gonna step on the bed frame and bend it. You know how I know? Because I stepped on the bed frame and I bent it. Your your pastor's not a big cusser. But I did. And I apologize for that. It's one of those bees that was kind of circling my head. I got angry. I dropped it in front of my daughter. Uh, It's just always there. Uh, That's what we've been called away from. its a minor example, but there's other things in our holiness. It's just so easy to slip up, right? It's just so easy to fail. Paul wrote about it in Romans. He says, I do not understand my own actions. I do not do what I want in the very, uh, I do the very thing I hate instead. Anybody remember that? So let me just make this point. We'll finish. I told you, it's just the summary. It's the keeping it simple, stuff of the Christian life today. We are who we are, so we don't what we don't. But in the place of the things that we shouldn't be doing, we put in those spots of our lives the things that we should be doing. We, we seek to be holy and as much like God as we possibly can, to grow and to increase and becoming more like Jesus in every way and how we think and what we do in every way. So my question to you, Are you choosing the honorable things in life? Now, don't answer too quickly because there's probably some things there that um, are kind of tucked underneath. You know, we go to the big ones. I haven't killed anybody lately, right? I paid my taxes on time. We we go to the, 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 the subject headings and we think, yeah, I'm honorable. But examine your heart, your thoughts. Go to your homes. That's where most people's sins live in the house, because you're gonna snow the rest of us when you come out here and hang out. But when you go home, Katie, bar the door. Are you choosing the honorable things in your life? The last part of that rhyme, uh, let us, since we are who we are, uh, let us do what we do so that when others see us, they might know Jesus too. The last part of that is just here in First Peter. Chapter two, verse 12, where it says, live so that all those who seek you might trust Jesus too. Like I said earlier, your Christian life is not your own. You are an agent of God himself to a world that desperately needs him. Look at what it says in verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Like I mentioned earlier, Peter's original audience was just reviled. They were rejected and misunderstood, persecuted on a daily basis because they had left their former lives to follow Christ. These were first generation Christians. Some of us were born into Christian homes and it was actually uh, applauded. We were encouraged to become Christians. None of these people had been. And most of their families, we can surmise, would have rejected them. But Peter still told him hey man live your life in an honorable way, so that in your choices you can impact those around you and they can glorify God on the day of his visitation that means we take the high road every time we live honorably being holy as God is holy we we do this first of all because it's right right we do we, we do the right thing because it's the right thing don't make it tricky That's all we need is is to know that. We're we're doing the right thing because God told us to do it. It's it's enough, right? But understand that there's a benefit from our obedience. We seek to be honorable because it's um, through our actions that the greatest impact for Christ can be made on those watching us. Glorify God on the day of visitation, that last part of that verse. It's either talking about um, the, the day that someone actually meets Christ, like their salvation. Or it's talking about the day that Jesus comes back to earth, which is our glorification, right? And and both work. Like if you live in such a way that someone seeing your actions chooses Christ, well, then indeed uh, they will be um, giving glory to God on the day of his visitation. But even if it means uh, the end, when Jesus comes back, has anybody heard this before? Every knee shall bow Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There's going to be like uh, uh, probably this moment when when Jesus returns that the people who have rejected him for all time think back to the Christians who hopefully have left them an example, who have preached the gospel not just by words but by their deeds and have shown them what uh, Jesus is all about. And they'll be like, oh, that's what that was about. So let me leave you with one more scripture as we close, and then we'll say our rhyme one more time. Jesus stood in front of a crowd early on in his ministry years. He's hanging out with them on this Sermon on the Mount here in Matthew chapter seven, or Matthew chapter five, I'm sorry, and he he basically tells them, hey, uh, here's how we live, you've heard it said, I tell you this, He, he goes through a whole bunch of things, but he opens his talk with these Beatitudes in uh, the first few verses of chapter five. And then he kind of proceeds forward with these very new to him followers, most of them. And he says this to them, hey, front door, before you get going with me, here's the deal. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand and it gives light to all in the house in the same way he says to them, and in the same way he says to us, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. It's been a weird season. It's probably gonna stay weird for a while. And you might be wondering as a Christian, what am I supposed to do with this? Well, if you need help, because you're feeling kind of just out of sorts, we got a counseling center, come in and talk to somebody myself or any of the pastors would love to help you if you got issues going on your your home, you got family stuff, let's talk about let's let's do all the other things, but in in the midst of all the peripherals, keep the main thing, the main thing. And the main thing is this. Everybody ready to say the poem one more time? Because we are who we are since we are who we are. Let us do what we do that all those who see us might trust Jesus too. Can I pray for us this morning? Hey God, thanks so much for these who are in the room and those who are uh, listening online. As uh, we listen to Peter and and the things that he had to say to his his first recipients, Uh, these are things that echo in our hearts, God. We just wanna know from you as we go through uh, anything in life, uh, but especially in times that are crazy, Um, what it is that you hope for us to do. And God, I thank you that everything that we need to face, anything in life is ours by your spirit. That we can with confidence um, uh, walk with you as hard as anything can feel or be. um, You are greater still. So thank you for that. And Lord, help us as your followers uh, to keep the main things the main things. Help us to, uh, to choose well. Because you've chosen us, help us to choose well. And then by our choices, God, would you direct people to yourself? Help us to not just live uh, and and not share. Help us to be um, verbal when we get the opportunity to be able to share our faith. But but Lord, um, help our lives to speak to all those around us so that they might glorify, glorify you on the day of your visitation. That's my prayer for our church today and always. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.